But I'm going to just go ahead and invite uh, Jay Schiffman up to share his story. So let's give it up for Jay. Welcome to the Choose Your Struggle podcast. I am your host, Jay Schiffman. Welcome back to another episode of the Choose Your Struggle podcast. We have another special episode today. I know there's been a lot of these lately, and that's because I've been incredibly lucky to have the interest in having me as a guest sort of, not skyrocket, I'm not (laughs) floored by interview requests, but it's been pretty busy, and that's, um, I know how lucky I am. I don't put all of these out as special episodes, probably a quarter or so, only the ones that I truly enjoy. There's a couple more of these coming soon. I'm going to try to space them out a little bit more. But this one I was very excited to get out because it's with a host that I I love dearly. For those who don't know me, I am the oldest of four boys. And the host of the At Least There's This podcast is my younger brother, Alex Schiffman. He's number three in the family. Alex and I obviously grew up in the same house. and. We lived together in New York for a while. He lives out in L.A. now and is doing some very cool things in the entertainment industry. I personally didn't think I did as well on this interview. I've had a couple others lately that I thought were better. The uh, last special episode with Lion Rock with Ashley Loeb Blasting Game. I thought that was a great interview. I thought I knocked that one out of the park. This one I thought I did fine. It, it It was just fine. I'm really putting this one out mostly because, you know, I love my brother and I love the conversation we had. That's definitely true. And I want you all to check it out. So subscribe to the At Least There's This podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. But more than that, support Alex. He's doing some great things, as I said, trying to mix education and entertainment, which is great. We need more of that. So listen to the podcast and he'll tell you all the cool places you can support him. No choose your card this week. No good egg. I should say this episode. I'll be back on Friday with a regular episode of this podcast. But enjoy this one. Spread some love and choose your struggle. Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast and then thought, man, I just I don't even know where to begin. Well, I have the perfect answer for you. It's Anchor. They have all the tools you need to get started right away. All in one spot. You can do it from your phone or your computer. They'll even distribute for you, so you don't have to go looking for places to get your podcast out. But the best part is it's all free. That's right, you can sign up today without any hassle at all. You can even start making money right from the beginning. It's everything you need in a podcast in one place. So check it out today. Go to anchor.fm or download the free Anchor app to get started. This idea of struggling on a greater good to, to, to take it out, to say that, you know, okay, I don't need to struggle. One, I don't believe that to be true. And two, you're saying there's nothing worth struggling for when, as we were just saying, there's plenty. You just have to figure out where it is. How are you guys doing today? Me? Uh, I'm struggling. It's it's hard sometimes to try to get episodes out in quarantine. Uh, it's hard to try to do anything. I know not just for me, but for for a lot of other people, we're all kind of struggling right now. But is that always such a bad thing? In my conversation today, my guest and I discuss struggle and redefining struggle as a potential source for positive in your life. If you never had to work at anything, how could you ever be anything? We're all struggling right now, some of us much more than others. But in your own personal struggles today, is there a chance to you know, not ignore them or try to rationalize them away, 
but to look at what ways they've forced you to be resilient. I hope you guys enjoy the episode. I enjoyed making it. Hey, everybody, and welcome back, uh, or maybe for the first time, I don't know, to At Least There's This, a show about some of the small good things in um, in quarantine, wave of the future. This is my third episode, I think, I've recorded in uh, season two, The Quarantine Confessionals, and um, it's just starting to get weird. I just remembered this week that like the Mueller investigation happened. It's 2020 and so much has happened that that feels like it happened at the same time as Watergate. Things, everything is just piling up so much that I'm starting to forget like the 10th worst thing that's ever happened in the world because there's just a new one every week. It's like an anhedonic treadmill where it just keeps coming at you. Um, but in a world where there is a never-ending fire hose of, really? This fucking thing now? At least there's... Struggle. Hey, everybody. I am with mental health and addiction and recovery advocate, speaker, writer, and host of the podcast Choose Your Struggle, my brother... Jay Schiffman. I think this makes it official that I am your favorite brother. Uh, you you held you held the ring. No, that's not true. My Ari Ari held the glass. You held the ring at my at my wedding, and I'm now the first uh, Schiffman brother to be on your podcast. So that pretty much seals it, right? Well, also you're saying first as if there will be other Schiffman brothers on my podcast, but until Jake or Ari. <laughs> Or one of our Schiffman cousins has a podcast of their own. I think this is gonna might just be uh, a first and third brother thing. I think I think at this point our nephew Max uh, may be your next guest. He he'll have some really interesting things to say. <laughs> Welcome to Rage Against the Machine with Max. I'm two years old. Fuck the system. Yep. Uh, J- uh, there we go. This is That's my it. oldest brother Jay. Everybody. Um, I so I don't think our voices sound alike, but there is. I was listening to your podcast last night, Jay, and I think that for the podcasting world, we might have very similar voices. So, do you want to really quick, like, you say some things, then I'll say some things, so we can give people kind of a a touchstone to see who is who? Yeah, I definitely think that you know uh, you're right. They don't sound super similar to people who know us, but for people who don't, we you know, grew up literally in the same house and we're only uh, four plus years apart. So I can understand why there would be some mix up. However, this is the eldest Schiffman, Jay Schiffman uh, in the future. If if you're wondering which one it is, that's OK. We're, we're very similar. We live together a lot of a lot of years. You can just assume it's one of us. Uh, yeah, I think the thing the thing that sounds the most alike for the two of us, and you just did it, and then I thought about you doing it, and then I subconsciously did it, is uh, I have noticed editing my podcast how often I um go um uh this, and I've noticed you do it too, and I'm like ah oh, fuck, yep, <laughs> there's a, this is a Schiffman thing, a hundred percent, and 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 editing my podcast has made me so so aware of my speech patterns. It's made me aware of my breathing to the point where I have to work extra hard to cut that out of episodes. Not because I think it's a problem when my guests, you know, do that. But I breathe so heavily that I think I sound like a rhinoceros. And so I cut that out of every single episode. So we're going to get into struggle, which I loved when you chose struggle as a topic right now. Because we're all struggling. And struggle is, for the most part, a negative word. I mean, struggle makes you think negative. But before we get into the positive sides of struggle... I want to know more about you. I mean, I don't. I I know enough about you, uh, but I, my audience does. Jay Schiffman, are you an optimist or a pessimist? <laughs> uh, so first off, I do appreciate that you you said that when someone says struggle, they usually mean negative. And 
a lot of what I do is fighting against that. I, I completely think it can be a positive and should be a positive. So I would, I love that you, you referenced that. To answer your question, I see myself as a realist on the positive side of the spectrum. It's hard sometimes to simply be optimistic all the time. And I actually wrote an op-ed to our local paper today. We'll see if they pick it up or not. But basically saying this virus has challenged my belief in America's ability to be empathetic mm. and to, to remember how to put other people first because we're just not seeing it on a national scale. Now, that is not in any way an indication on individuals, but as a country, we are simply not seeing people willing to put other people first. Because they're like saying the economy is more important or some, some vague notion of personal freedom is more important or something like that? Yeah, I mean, those are those are the ones we're seeing in the headlines, but uh, I used two examples from my life over the last week. For those listening, I live in outside of Charleston, South Carolina on an island called Daniel Island. It's a very small, almost 100% uh, white and affluent community. And in the last week alone, I was yelled at by a woman at our local grocery store for wearing a mask. She called me stupid and said that uh, that I was I was stupid for wearing for wearing a mask in public. And then I was walking our dog on our local walking trail and these four middle aged white women ran me off the trail. Not only were they not social distancing, but they weren't even practicing common courtesy in terms of sharing the trail. And I had to jump out of the way with my dog. And at first I was like, well, that was just rude to me. And then I turn around and watch a couple with a stroller do the exact same thing, like jump out of the way of these women. And so it's little moments like that that make me think, okay, is that everybody? Of course not. But as a whole, we have forgotten how to be empathetic and we're, we're instead giving into our basic human selfishness. So then where does the positive side of you saying you are a, a positive realist come in. Well, so that's the realist part, right? Is I'm literally seeing some of these these things that remind me that it's not all going to be okay. But there is other things that, that combat that. And so to think that it's all negative would also be foolish. And overall, I do think that there are more positives than negatives. And I also am very lucky to have people outside of this country reminding me that some of the things that, that the U.S. is going through is 100% solo to the U.S. I have a very good friend in Paris, and they've handled this much better than we have. And I asked her, you know, are there protests and, and that kind of thing? And she laughed at me and she said, oh, sweetie, the U.S. is the laughingstock of the world. And so it's a reminder that this is so much bigger than us, right? That, yes, the U.S. is currently just kicking this thing all over the place, but that doesn't mean that everybody is. And so if you take a, a step back and, and remind yourself that we are sort of, you know, the grains of sand in the universe, it's hard to be pessimistic in that case. Where, though, like personally, have you seen that in your life? Have you seen the the good? Because real people who say they're realists and this is a this is a gross simplification but i've often noticed that people who say they're realists go towards pessimism right like if if you asked me as an outsider what was that person i'd say that was a pessimist because realism it's like uh there's this this cartoon you know some instagram cartoon that i like where someone's like oh i'm so depressed the world would be better off without me and someone else is like oh honey you're so wrong Nothing would change. You don't matter, right? <laughs> like the true realist is like, no, it doesn't fucking matter. Nothing matters. So like where does the the positive side of your realism that you're, you're that realist but closer to an optimist, what made that happen? Well, I think that first off, there is a, a grain of truth in that joke that for a lot of people, you know, if, if they are not – so I, I, let's take it in this direction – what I what I do and sort of my personal brand is choose your struggle. And what that was born from is this idea that we live in a world where we are we are honestly supposed to care about everything all the time. And I make that incredibly clear that I'm not trying to say there aren't worthy causes because in reality, 
There is a worthy cause born every other minute, and some of them are incredibly dire. But if we all focus on every single one of those, then nothing gets done. We get spread out super thin, and no one actually has the impact. And so what I what I work with people on, and, and that's obviously a very big scale and all the way down to their personal lives. So many people are unhappy following what they think they're supposed to be doing instead of doing what they actually want to be doing. And so seeing that come to fruition, not only in my life, but for other people, it's hard to be pessimistic when you see people embrace their true calling and their true struggle and live a much freer life. And, you know, I uh, practice mindfulness every day and it definitely helps me feel a lot lighter and a lot more free than I used to. And so that I think is the at the core of my optimistic nature of that realistic bent. So you've seen it in your life and in others. I'm just rephrasing what you've said to see if I got the core of it. In seeing other people and yourself embrace specific struggles to focus on, you you have seen that the needle moves. Like the needle can move. Definitely. And 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 the, the the qualification I would give to that is that it's all about changing what success looks like to use a, a business a business parlance. So if you're looking, you know, to I had this conversation with someone on my podcast just the other day. This idea of the overnight success is so dumb because nobody is ever truly an overnight success. We may think they are, because all of a sudden they're everywhere, but we don't see that seven, 10, 15 years of incredibly hard work it took for them to get there. Or the work of all the other people who made them successful. 100%. Justin Bieber is successful because of like Drake put in all that work, right? You know, that's what I mean is that, you know, uh, I had this, uh, again, another conversation with someone on my podcast that, she has found her true calling in terms of this this one bit of activism. And she said for her, the most important thing was to stop focusing on money and instead instead for her change what success looked like. And that was making a difference in people's lives. She realized how much happier she was and how much more she was able to accomplish. Can you imagine if if you know you go your whole life and you don't learn that lesson? And so seeing someone be able to find that success, by changing their goalposts in a positive way, it, that's that's the that's the win right there. So I think we're already heading towards this path, and and you've basically done it already. But can you define for my listeners when you say struggle? Yeah. what is it you mean? Yeah. So this is where I think it's really important to recognize that struggle doesn't have to be a negative. And so for me, it goes back to. The summer of 2009, where for your listeners, I am 10 years in recovery from addiction uh, to prescription pills. And back then, before I entered recovery, my struggle every day was just to get off the couch. It was just to avoid withdrawal. And so that's a very, you know, non-choice. My my struggle was not something I chose. It's just, it's the where where my it's where my life was. And now that I am able to make that choice, I can choose to follow the paths that I think I'm supposed to follow, or I can choose to follow the ones that I know have the impact and move me towards the success that I want to achieve. And so for me, that struggle is to get up every day and work to help end the stigma around addiction and mental health. It's to have an impact in people's lives and help them make the, their choices. And it's not necessarily, you know, to to get that next high paying job. I, I was making good money in my career and I realized I wasn't fulfilled and even though I was struggling, I wasn't struggling towards a goal that made me feel like I was accomplishing something. And so the, the idea of struggle can be as big as recalibrating your life and recalibrating your goals, or it can be as small as, like I said, 10 years ago, for me, it was just to avoid withdrawal. And that, you know, it took a lot of work, but boy, can you talk about a struggle that is deeply personal and very small in nature? Do you, and this is maybe the sort of perverse question that that you often find like people who are trying to moralize suffering ask but do you think that your life is better in a way for having had struggled 
in that. For you, I mean, we struggle every day, but having had that sort of struggle. I don't know if I would use the term better. What what it's hard to know because obviously I did, and so I I don't know what today would look like if I hadn't. Uh, who knows where right. I would be? It, am I fulfilled now? A hundred percent. Did I end up in a place? that I think is uh, a good place to be in in my life, 100%. And so I don't know if I could say it would be better or worse. I, I like to, I, before this hit, I was, I was, you know, most of my time was going towards public speaking. And there's a story I tell that all boils down to this. Uh, it's an old fable that I found that I love, but it boils down to this idea that we are on a path that is probably going to get us to where we're going already, right? I mean, you and I were born into incredible privilege and now here i am 33 years later finding myself still an incredible privilege right i mean i got these opportunities i was going to get from birth but the choices we make along those roads are they, they they change who we are when we arrive at that destination and that is what makes all the difference it's not about where we're going sure maybe 10 percent of them change that destination 100 percent that is possible but the other 90% are all about who we are when we reach that def destination. I, I'm touched by that because I, I also practice mindfulness. I mean, no surprise. Our father sits like 40 minutes a day. <laughs> uh, so I think it's something we didn't do when we were young, but it seems like it's something that at least a good half of our family has, uh, has gone towards. But there will be moments where I'm sitting and – the the feeling realization whatever thought it's like oh it's all happening like the things that are happening are ha they're going to happen you aren't it's like when you're in a uh, it's like maggie in the opening of the simpsons she thinks she's driving the car you know and she's <laughs> not and i'm not trying to say that i'm a fatalist or, or that i believe in fate or anything like that your actions do change things but like the world is moving and you are acting in it no matter what you're doing you don't need to be constantly putting that like conscious thought to like well now i go here i go here like every choice you make and they can just be easy choices are going to change where you go or are going to affect you so you might as well relax in it as you're going along the road i i like the analogy of of maggie and the simpsons that's funny but i think the one i think of a lot and uh, it's sort of, it, it didn't influence Choose Your Struggle, but it's a very nice uh, parallel. And that is the Choose Your Own Adventure books that we right. read when we were growing up. And, and in those, you made a decision on page 192 that wouldn't come to fruition or you wouldn't know that it, it impacted you until 500 pages down the road. Yeah. And that is in reality most of our decisions in life. And yet we treat so many like we're going to get this instant idea if it's a success or not and and that's just it's just funny to me yeah I, I mean i i know so i'm in the entertainment business i live out in la and we all operate under the it should have happened two years ago i know someone who it happened to right out of college right i know like the right. the lena dunham the uh who's the comedian pete davidson right you know you're like 19 and now you're on snl like why isn't it happening to me why isn't it happening to me and like that I think more than lack of talent, that feeling hobbles people. I've noticed that in my own life. I've noticed that like that feeling has given me more pain than anything else. How, how did you come to that being the thing you wanted to focus on in all of your work? So... For the first five years after, you know, getting into recovery, I didn't talk about, you know, what that experience was like at all. Like I had close friends that didn't know. Um, I actually just I was talking to a good friend of mine who was uh, in my life at that time two days ago. And she was saying, I had no idea back then. Like you never told me where you were for all that time. And I was like, you weren't alone. It wasn't like I hid it from you. I, I just wasn't talking about it. But five years in, or a little over five years in, uh, a guy in Cincinnati, Ohio, asked me to do what was called a Cincy Stories uh, speech. And he knew that I was in recovery. And so he was like, well, why don't you tell that story? And I was like, man, man that is never going to happen. Yeah. And he asked me three times, and every time I said no. 
And then um, I was home <laughs> actually one night for dinner with, with our parents. We grew and up I in went Cincinnati, up to, just for those we listening. Did. Yeah. yeah. So I was living in Cincinnati at the time uh, before I moved down here to, to South Carolina. But I was home for dinner with our parents, and uh, I went up to Dad's office. And he, I, I, I tell the story all the time because it's like imprinted on my brain. But he was sitting in his chair reading the New York Times. And um, I was talking to him, and he still had his head behind the Times. <laughs> And I, I mentioned that this opportunity was, was coming up and, you know, I really didn't, I was scared to do it was what I told him. Mm. He asked me why I wasn't going to do it. And I said, well, I'm scared. And I said, you know, what if people respond poorly? What if whatever? And he uh, lowered the paper, looked right at me and said, fear is never a good reason not to do something. And then picked back up the paper and keep, kept reading as if he didn't know that he just like blew up my world, right? <laughs> the next day I called my buddy and said, ask me again. And we met for lunch and he asked me and I said, yes. And I gave the Cincy Stories talk not long after. That was election day of 2015. And that just launched everything uh not long after i gave a ted talk a little local one in cincinnati and that night um i got off the stage and was invited into the kitchen by the general manager and i was like I, I, you know whatever i don't know what's gonna happen here but i walk into the kitchen and every single person in the kitchen at this event space was in recovery like that was what this place mm -hmm. did they hired people and we ended up sitting around that night talking for man probably half an hour having like a mini session right a mini meeting and uh tears were shed and it just it, it it imprinted again on me so heavily that that ball just kept rolling and i've been speaking and writing and you know talking publicly since and um it all comes down to i gave this speech last year to a, an audience then i said look it all comes down to uh, there's a song from hamilton where at the end of the song aaron burr says if there's a reason i'm still alive when so many have died i'm willing to wait for it and that's like basically what my mantra was and you know i found it it's it's helping educate on the issues of mental health and addiction and helping hopefully to end end the stigma around it so we can start doing something about it it boggles my mind that Every year, almost 150,000 people die just on suicide and overdose alone. We're not even talking about the long-term effects of issues of mental health and addiction. We're just talking about those two causes. And uh, if there was any other preventable cause of death that caused almost 150,000 Americans every year to die, there would be riots in the streets. But because it's these two issues that we see as, as oh, you don't, you don't talk about that, nothing's happening. And so, you know, it just, I, I, I can't stomach that. I, I, I have got no time for people who won't talk about it. So we're talking about why the broad mission, but I also want to know, cause you've got a specific like mission statement. Like if we're talking about your brand, because you do mental health advocacy, addiction and recovery advocacy, but the, your brand is very specific. Choose your struggle it's not you're not supposed to be an overnight success you can't focus on everything focusing on what they tell you to focus on isn't going to work for you so i know why mental health and addiction advocacy i know why that why specifically choose your struggle why this it really comes down to those two reasons the first of which is for for so long i didn't get to choose and so i remember what that was like too clearly and every day, you know, I make that conscious choice when I get up, obviously, one, not to not to use in that way, not to abuse um, prescription pills again and not to have to <laughs> not get that choice. So that that's number one. And then number two is that, you know, it's 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 very easy to look around in our society and see that people are struggling towards things that one don't fulfill them and two, um, are not chosen by them. So those, those are so, sort of where uh, the, the choose and the struggle part come from. And that is, it's like ingrained in our society that we are all supposed to work hard. We are all, um, you know, you're supposed to be only worried about the money you're making and the, the, the flashiness of your lifestyle, whatever the case is. But then also, you're supposed to care about literally every issue that is happening around you. And there's just not a conducive way to either A, find success and peace in life, or B, to actually see anything happen. Like, tell me this, right? 
uh, I was having this conversation with an activist not long ago. She was livid because we were talking about uh, politics and she's like, look, you know, she's her big thing is immigration. And she said, obviously, I prefer Democrats over Republicans. But let's be honest here. Democrats haven't done shit either. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, look, under Obama, the three biggest issues in the country, and she just meant this as a time frame, not literally the president, but were immigration, were health care. And um, uh, there was a third one that I'm forgetting. But she said, what are the three biggest issues today? Their immigration, their health. I mean, none of this stuff is changing. And it's because we're all so spread thin that there aren't enough people to just focus on, okay, you do this thing. I'm going to do this thing. And so it's not that I don't care about everything else. I mean, you know that. Like, uh, we as a family are very philanthropic. Uh, my wife has the interests that are incredibly important to her that we obviously support as well. But if I was getting up every day and going, okay, Monday is going to be, you know, um, issues of abortion rights. Tuesday is going to be uh, gun access and, you know, Wednesday is going to whatever. I wouldn't be able to have the impact that I have by simply focusing on the issues of addiction and mental health. I, um, I, I relate to that because I remember, I remember having a very important experience to me. This is about like four or five months ago. I, I was tripping. I don't know if that's something I can like. Uh, that's cool to talk about on a uh, your recovery podcast. But I, I started to realize that I'm when I think about doing good for people, I'm not really, I think about how bad I am for like the starving kids in Africa thing that I'm not saving them. And I, in that stops me from doing anything else positive for other people because I'm so focused on the, well, don't you know there are starving kids in Africa? And so instead of like, well, I want to, I have friends who are struggling. I can help them. Like, I can make sure that they've got work, you know, like I can make sure that they're feeding themselves by like getting, by helping them. I, I can help people in my community, but I'm so guilt ridden by the vagaries of there are bad things you're not stopping. And then I feel so bad about it that I do nothing. Yeah. I mean, that's very real. First, though, you I mean, I talk about drug access all the time. I am not in any way. First off, you know this. I'm not sober. That's right. a very clear distinction. Um, I still drink. I literally have a bowl sitting here of CBD, um, which, you know, a lot of people wouldn't call a drug, but some would. So whatever. Uh, I still smoke on very rare occasions. Mm -hmm. uh, smoke weed. I, I am not in any way against drugs. And I, I actually am going on a uh, weed podcast on next week to talk about, uh, you know, drugs with mental health and also, you know, the different dis distinction between sober and in recovery and all that kind of stuff. So there is no no shame in talking about drug access. Sick, 420, um, dude. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> but the, 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 the bigger issue is that, you know, what you're feeling, that, that paralysis is not unique. You know, it is really hard sometimes to look your buddy in the face who is just so passionate about something and say, look, uh, if, if you want, you know, I've done this. Like if I will happily donate in your name mm -hmm. and I that's what I end up doing. Um, if you are looking for someone to sign a petition, if you want someone to walk in a parade and I happen to be free that day. Yeah. OK, I would be I would love to. But. I have the expertise, I have the experience to work on these issues, and those issues are addiction and mental health. I have absolutely no idea what it's like to have the live experience of, you know, whatever, pick another, another cause. That doesn't mean I can't support it, but if I was spending all my time on that neglecting the things that I actually can make a difference on, then I would probably not get as far. Now, I understand the pushback on that as well. If people say, well, if you only focus on the things that you have experience, if you only focus on the things you have expertise, then what about the causes that nobody has expertise on? And what I say to that is, you know, 
one, we need to prop up more people who do have that expertise and do have that opinions and help them get their, their voice heard. That's number one. And number two, again, I'm not saying 100% of the time. I'm saying, you know, I, if, if I'm picking a big three, I'm going to focus on one addiction and mental health first because that's where my experience are. I, is I still give a lot of money and a lot of my time to the issues of abortion access. Those are very important to my wife and I. Uh, I mean, I could go on in this list. So I'm not saying you should close yourself off to all the other ones. I'm just simply saying being mindful of what you have a platform and what you have a right to to talk about. That's, I think, a really important sentiment because it's one that's I have noticed, especially like after the Trump presidency and how not after we're still fucking in it, but like uh, right when Trump got elected myself and everyone I knew for like two years, we were on the fucking streets constantly protesting. Like every time you met with friends, it's like, well, let's talk about this issue. And now we're all exhausted because we're all spread so thin and everyone is thinking about everything. And it's like, Oh, who cares? I, I can't. Um, so that's a really important thing to say because I think and I noticed in myself it's I got burnt out hard but I, I think I want to broaden our scope because we've so on, on at least there's this when we're talking about ideas I like to talk about uh, this is an idea that comes from the philosophical like discussion of truth when you're talking about truth you have to say are you talking about like big t truth so sort of the ontological idea of truth are you talking about little t truth like what is just what is factually true or um conforms to what is like outside um and i like to talk about what is like big g good and what's little g good and i think we've definitely hit we've hit the little g in like what is how does struggle and you choosing your struggle get you through the day but almost the philosophical idea of to struggle what is what is positive about struggle? Well, you, number one, I, I honestly believe, and and this is uh, big G, in that struggle is one inherent to man, and two, it's what makes us reminds us that we are alive. If you are living a life of absolute leisure. Uh, look, that sounds wonderful right now when shit is – we are all the dogs sitting in the room on fire going, this is fine. You know, I mean, that's where we are right now. Yeah. So while I would love the fantasy that our grandmother always loves to tell me that she's got an island somewhere with a palm tree ready for us to go, you know, whatever, that is not real life. You know, that my, – my wife and I on our honeymoon went to a fantastic resort – on an island in the middle of the Indian Ocean, and it was amazing for like five days. And I couldn't have stayed there a lot longer because after a while, sitting around doing very little, accomplishing nothing, even the people who that is them to a core, they get bored because that's not what we are meant to as as literal animals. We are not meant to just simply sit and uh, and B, we are meant to struggle towards something, whether it's going back to our ancestors of, of um, you know, hunting versus gathering or building shelter. I mean, there is always something that we can be doing for the greater good for our community. So this idea of struggling on a greater good to, to, to take it out, to say that, you know, okay, I don't need to struggle. One, I don't believe that to be true. And two, you're saying there's nothing worth struggling for when, as we were just saying, there's plenty. You just have to figure out where it is. Yes, and what inherently is good about the act of struggle, about struggling. Not just that we must, but that we should. I, th I think this is, I mean— not to be too highfalutin, but I think this is philosophy straight from Friedrich Nietzsche, right? That struggling is like an inherent positive quality in man. What to you is good about that? So I'm, I'm really glad you mentioned Nietzsche. I actually, in, a, in my, my first speech back in 2015, I quoted two people. And that was number one, Nietzsche, and number two, Don Shula, because a philosopher and a football coach, they go, they go well together. 
And that the quote of Nietzsche that I used was, a man who has a reason to live can bear anyhow, which is essentially, if you have something you're struggling for, you can get through pretty much anything. You know, that is directly from him. And, and I found that quote and I love it and I use it all the time. Uh, and then I added on the Don Shula quote from that, which was, all I know is you win with good people. So essentially, those are my two philosophies of, you know, if you have a reason to live, if you have a, a, a cause that motivates you, it's very easy to get out of bed in the morning, even on the days where I don't, you know, I, I'm struggling with depression, whatever the case is, I have a reason to get out of bed. And number two is you get there with good people. You don't get there alone. And so that is, to me, the the ultimate of struggle. It is combining with other people to accomplish the greater good. As we're sort of reaching towards our our conclusion of this episode, is there anything that you have learned in your five years of making struggle your virtue that you didn't know at the outset that you wish that you wish you could tell a younger you, but also that has become knowledge you want to impart about the virtue of struggle? <clears throat> well, the, the realistic answer is everything. Um, you know, I, I, so, the, oh my God, there's so much in there that, that, uh, you know, number one, I think is we're seeing right now what happens when an entire nation does not know how to deal with their feelings, right? This person who three months ago wouldn't have cared less if they, if someone told them they couldn't go to Applebee's is today literally barreling through people because you know, they have to go or they, they are, there's a video I just saw today about someone who didn't have a mask on, was told they couldn't come in and started throwing, throwing punches. These are not normal reactions. They are, they are reactions of a, of a large swath of the public that doesn't know how to deal with their emotions. And it's not their fault. We, I say this all the time. But you and I went to the best school in Cincinnati, Ohio. We had PE every year uh, until the end of high school. We were incredibly lucky to have health class, which taught us what goes in our body. It taught us, for the time, a very progressive sex ed, although obviously still not the gold standard. Why were we never given behavioral health? Why were we never given mental health classes? That is a giant a glaring hole in our education system. And so it's not surprising that people get to their adulthood and the only things they know about mental health or behavioral health, they've picked up from the people around them. And they also had that problem. And most people don't know what they're doing. And so you've got an entire, entire country that does not know how to handle their emotions. And I just wish we could change that. I wish that we could go back and tell, you know, perfect example is this idea that, you know, uh, men are supposed to be men and girls are supposed to be girls. And that's finally changing. Well, thank God. Why can't we make that bigger? Why can't we say, and however you feel is okay. Let's work through those emotions and allow you to be who you are. Our grandmother told me last weekend that she was afraid that she wasn't grieving properly. And I was like, at first I was like, oh, that's so sweet. And I was like, oh my God, that's so sad that she's 86 or whatever that she's she is. She lost her husband of 60 years and she's worried about whether she's doing it right. There is no right. There's no playbook on that. You are allowed to feel however you feel after that experience and no one can tell you differently. Now, there are people who can help you through that and, and help make sure that you're expressing that grief in a more healthy way as opposed to an unhealthy way. But to think of it as right and wrong, it, like I don't blame her and I'm also very saddened by that. I, I think I've, as I'm noticing my generation, our generation, I guess, we're millennials. I'm on the younger side of millennials, but definitely not fucking Gen Z. <laughs> we are all learning like 
we learned halfway through our lives, like, oh, fuck, that was wrong. Like, everything we learned was wrong. And we learned that, like, halfway through, oh, we got to be emotional. Everyone's got to be emotional. This, like, be a man stuff is bullshit. I've noticed with my generation, when my friends and I talk about this stuff, we're all like, am I doing it right? Am I doing this emotions thing right? And no one knows. And I've noticed that people who are kinder to themselves are the ones who are like, I'm sure I'm doing it fine. I am trying, and that is okay. I think that's incredibly important to say, and that is that there is no right or wrong, that doing it the best you can, that is the the healthy way. And if you're not being healthy with it, we see the, that what that looks like every day, especially right now. There's something that needs to be in your own awareness to go, you know, I think I need some help here. And until we end the stigma around getting help, around even talking about mental health, um, it's not going to get better. And, and I live in an area uh, down here. There's a saying that it's up in the north, too, but it's you hear this all the time down here. And that's, oh, bless your heart. And that's the that's the go the fuck away. That's the don't talk about that. You know, if I try to talk about mental health, the wrong person, it's oh bless your heart. And then they're gone. Right. So it, it when I first moved down here, uh, our, our congressman's wife was being just roasted. And by both sides of the aisle, this was not a Democrats versus Republicans. The Democrats were talking about running someone against him because his wife had the audacity to publish an op ed talking about mental health. That's it. That was the entire scandal. And it was just that she was a loose cannon. These were words that were used for her. This is not 1950. This is not 1835. This is 2020 in Charleston, South Carolina. So talk about a terrible message to send to say that your husband should lose his job because you had the audacity to say that things weren't perfect that you went to therapy, that you and your husband went to marriage therapists. Like, that was a cardinal sin. That is not alone down here. Uh, it is worse in this area. Up in Cincinnati, I never has, had that reaction. It was still not open. But here in the South, it's much more frequent. But if we can't even allow people to say, you know, things are less than perfect, we're not going to be able to fix that massive error of allowing people to get help or are feeling that they can get help. If you had one last thing you want to say to anyone listening in the audience who is who is vibing with this, who this is striking a chord, you're making them think about things in a way that they haven't or touching on things in a way that, you know, they wish that they had the words for. If you had any parting bit of wisdom <clears throat> or advice what would that be? Yeah, so three things real quick I want to close on. Number one, um, you can reach me at my website, www.jayshifman.com. If you just need someone to talk to, reach out there. Uh, during this period of COVID, I've been doing a whole lot of coaching with people who just need someone to be there. Like I said, like a lot of people just don't know what to do with these emotions that are coming up. And they're very understandable emotions. But if you've never addressed this with anyone before, it's understandable to not know what to do. So reach out. You can find me there. You can check out my podcast, the Choose Your Struggle podcast. Uh, a lot of great tips are coming up through that as well. So that's number one. Number two. So... We touched on mindfulness a lot, and I think that if, if you did not know a lot about mindfulness, um, we have, or I should say, we as a society or the media has created this idea that the only way to practice mindfulness is meditation, right? And this happens a lot where they, they latch onto an idea, uh, we as a culture latch onto an idea um, that is that is dominant, and we decide that is the only way. We saw this with AA in the addiction recovery space where for literally decades, I'm talking about 50 years or so, the only way to enter recovery was through AA because people were never hearing that there were other options and we're finally breaking down that wall. It's the same thing with mindfulness. Meditation is great for a lot of people. Um, I, I, you know, I can't say that enough. Meditation is fantastic. There are other ways to practice mindfulness. If you have tried meditation and it's not working, 
that's okay. Don't force it. There are other ways to practice mindfulness. So that's number two. And number three is you are not alone. You know, when I was going through the depths of my shit, uh, this is something I hear all the time, not just my experience, that people feel like there is no one that will understand. There's no one that they can talk to. And there's an entire industry that has been built around that. Uh, you know, I'm talking the suicide hotline. I'm talking about these crisis text uh, services. Those are all so incredibly vital. But if you just text someone that you love or call somebody that you love, and you know, I can think of so many times where I got that call or I got that text and I knew immediately what it was. And instead of being like, hey, what's wrong? We just had a conversation. And then at the end or the next day or a week later, whatever the case is, the person called or texted and said, hey, you know, thanks for, for just being there. Just reach out to someone, whether it's it's literally me or Alex or or whoever. Just reach out and it can be as simple as, hey, and if the person on the other end, you know, is someone that cares about you, they're going to get it and they're going to just have a conversation. So you're not alone. Reach out and practice mindfulness in the ways that uh, that work for you. Great shit. Jay Schiffman, my brother, or this could have just been me alone the whole time, slightly altering my voice, and you, my listeners, would never know. Jay, you already mentioned it on the podcast, but if people want to find you, where can they find your work? Where can they find your website? Maybe some of your speeches. Yeah, so number one, the podcast, Choose Your Struggle. It's on every platform. Um, you just search for Choose Your Struggle. Number two, my website, www.jayshiffman.com, J-A-Y-S-H-I-F-M-A-N.com. The bio page has a lot of my work on it, uh, and, and there's a contact me page there as well. So definitely don't hesitate to reach out. Um, on Instagram, I'm the next Shiftman. On Twitter, it's JB Shiftman. And on Facebook and LinkedIn, it's just J A Y S H I F M A N dot com. I'm most active on LinkedIn, uh, uh, mostly because I think that these are conversations that need to happen in the workplace. And, you know, a lot of people are talking about this on Facebook, and that's wonderful, but we're still not there in the American workplace. So, a lot of my topics on mental health and addiction, I post on LinkedIn and try to start conversations at businesses. So find me on LinkedIn. Uh, and you know what? Let's just have a conversation. I love it. I love talking to people about these topics. If you can't uh, tell that just from from this conversation. And I said this the other day to my therapist, by the way, you know, I, I still see a therapist myself. I do too, yeah. I said – I'm very lucky that I love what I do because, you know, I don't get paid a lot of money. I am tired. I work a lot, but I absolutely love it. And I can see the impact that I have every single day. So reach out. Let's have a conversation. Thank you very much. It was, you know, hard to get Jay. I had to go through his mother to talk to him, but a, a wonderful <laughs> conversation. I am Alex Schiffman. You can find me this podcast you're listening to it, uh, please like and subscribe if you haven't already, because this is not really advertised. It's mostly word of mouth. Send it to somebody who you think might dig it. Also find the other show I produce, Science the Show, everywhere that you can find things. We do shows trying to break down the barriers of what people think scientists are like to show them that scientists are just normal people like you. So find us anywhere you want to find some dope science content. And I will be back to you guys next time with another episode of At Least There's This. Thanks. Bye.